Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. And please pray with me. God, help us to participate in the reign of Jesus' just and loving life in this time, in this world, until every person knows your extravagant love. Amen. And please be seated. In Epiphany, the church basks in the light of Christ revealed to us. But contrary to our expectations, we find that the light of Christ shines out from the marginalized as God listens attentively to the voice of cries from the wilderness. You see, God is revealed to the oppressed in ways that the powerful do not know. And so our salvation, in fact, every person's salvation, you could say, is necessarily wrapped up into listening to the voices of the quote-unquote others in this world. Uh, Last week, Pastor Ben introduced us to a Korean perspective known as Minjung Theology, which is about the exploited who see Jesus as the suffering servant among them. This week, we're going to explore the soul of Minjung theology in the scriptures. As a reminder, Minjung theology was first articulated in the 1970s to speak to the suffering and oppression that's experienced by those who are marginalized in society. About Minjung theology, Ben emphasized a few really interesting points. First, rather than focusing on the problem of sin, Minjung theology focuses on what is called Han, which refers to the bitterness of a soul. And so yes, of course, a person's bitterness could be due to some kind of sin. However, in Minjung theology, the focus is primarily upon a soul's bitterness as the result of some kind of oppression. A second point of Minjung theology is that the Han is forever changing. Han refers to a person's despair. And so, of course, the Han is forever changing because once an oppressed person is set free, God's work continues on in the lives of whoever else is oppressed. And third, in Minjung theology, Jesus isn't an outside actor, somehow spiritually saving sinners from a far-off place. Instead, Minjung theology, Jesus is a participant. Jesus enters into the stories of those who are oppressed. So this morning what I'd like to do is try to unpack some of these ideas from Minjung theology as we see its soul in the scriptures. And to be honest, one thing that I love so much about this theology is that it accords so deeply with how we here at Pearl understand the gospel of Christ. So first, rather than focusing on the problem of sin, Minjung theology focuses on what is called Han, which refers to the bitterness of a soul primarily due to oppression. And I truly love this point. Uh, 
Western Christianity has become so engulfed in the world of sin and forgiveness, so engulfed that it risks becoming a spiritualized gospel rather than the revolutionary embodiment of good news in this world here, now, today. For example, I think most Western Christians today would explain the gospel using words like this. Like if somebody were asked, what what is the gospel of Jesus? Most Western Christians would say something like, a person who trusts in Jesus shed blood on a cross, has their sins forgiven, and is thereby saved. And for a Pharisee like Paul, shed blood was necessary for atonement. The shedding of blood was needed for somebody who lived their lives within this religious system of sacrifice for forgiveness. Perhaps we could even say that sin and the need for blood to remove that sin, we could probably say that that was Paul's Han. That was a Pharisee's oppression that needed salvation. But as Minjung theology reminds us, Han intentionally deals with the very real problems in our world today, which transcend a personal sin in a person's life. And this, I believe, is a very biblical, very Jesus idea. In this morning's reading from the Hebrew scriptures, we heard these words from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn, to give them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. These words are, of course, recounted by Jesus in Luke chapter 4, which was our gospel reading for the day. Jesus unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke 4 then tells us that Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And then he said to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. I bring up these two passages because they explain the work of God in this world, which is about something much more than mere forgiveness. Now, don't get me wrong, forgiveness is important, right? To know that you are forgiven is important. Like in my relationship with with my wife or with my children, it's important when I mess up for for me to know that I'm forgiven. And and I can say I'm sorry. But what if my entire relationship with my children or with my partner was, was about me asking them to forgive me all of the time? I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Dad, we forgive you, I'm so sorry. Dad, we forgive you, I'm so sorry. Dad, let's, let's get on to living our life together. But I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, do you see? We, it's good to be sorry. And, and to trust in divine grace that bestows forgiveness upon our lives is important. And there is so much more to this gospel as Jesus articulates it in Luke chapter 4. As Jesus explains it, the gospel is a very real, very visceral, very embodied way of goodness today, here and now. And what is that goodness? 
Well, good news, literally gospel, according to Jesus, is for the poor. Good news, literally gospel, according to Jesus, releases captives. Good news, literally gospel, according to Jesus, recovers sight and it frees the oppressed. Now, here's the thing. For those of us who are not poor or for those of us who are not captive, like literally in bondage, for those of us who are not blind, for those of us who are not oppressed, we can so quickly and so easily spiritualize Jesus' gospel. So it looks like this. We liken sin to the poverty of our soul. We liken sin to our being held captive. We liken our sin to being blind humans in this world. We liken sin to being oppressed. And while that may all be true on one level, on another very real level, this spiritualization of the gospel hinders the embodiment of Jesus' gospel here and now in this world. You see, Minjung theology is a necessary corrective for non-oppressed humans who are tempted to merely spiritualize the gospel into something for their inner soul. Minjung theology asks again and again, over and over, whose soul is bitter today? Whose soul is bitter today? And Minjung theology answers this important question by declaring Jesus' gospel is especially for you. Are you poor the gospel of Jesus is for you, not just the spiritually poor, but the literally poor. Are you captive? The gospel of Jesus is for you. Are you blind? The gospel of Jesus is for you. Are you oppressed? The gospel of Jesus is for you. Now, of course, participating in a gospel that makes substantial change in this world, this is much more difficult than just getting people to believe that they're forgiven. But this is, it truly is central to the life, ministry, and gospel of Jesus. From the very beginning, it was meant to heal and to free and to feed and to rouse life today, here, and now. And this brings me to a second point of Minjung theology, which is the Han, which causes a person's sorrow. The Han is forever changing. And it has to, because once an oppressed person is set free, God's work continues in the lives of whoever else is oppressed. Last week, Ben noted that the Exodus story is central to Minjung theology. In the story, we're told in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, that the Israelites groaned, they cried out under their slavery to God. And out of their slavery, God hears their cry, rises up, and rescues them. And so as the story goes, God hears Israel's cry. God raised up Moses who performed signs and wonders. And after the final sign, God freed Israel from bondage in Egypt. Now fast forward a few hundred years. Israel cries out for a king. They get Saul. Then they get David. And then they get Solomon who, using slaves, built himself a house and built God a temple. Let us not miss the irony here. Israel, after crying out from slavery and after being freed from slavery, this same Israel eventually became an empire built on slaves. Now, fast forward hundreds of years. The earliest Jesus followers were marginalized humans who cried out for help in the midst of their Han, in the midst of their oppression. Welcomed into a loving community, they found belonging at Jesus' common table. 
That's how it all began. That's how the whole thing began. The whole Jesus movement began by marginalized people being set free and knowing that they belong at the divine table. Eventually, this church gained imperial favor. Eventually, the church became its own empire. And if we follow Christian history into the United States, we see, much like the story of Solomon, a quote-unquote Christian nation become an empire built on the backs of slaves. You see, Minjung theology recognizes the human propensity to hoard good news for oneself. And it insists that saved people ask over and over and over again, who is oppressed right now? Who is in need of divine help? Who in this world is being told that they do not belong? Minjung theology then creatively considers ways in which Jesus' good news may be used to set free whoever is in bondage. That's how it's supposed to work. And so rather than using one's salvation to hoard resources and to maintain power like white straight men in the Western church, rather than doing that, Minjung theology is intentional to ask again and again, how may I use these resources and power to free others in this world, to be who they are and to belong among the people of God? This is such an important question to ask. How may I use these resources and power to free others? How may I use these resources and power to free others? How may I use these resources and power to invite others, to welcome others, to belong at this table, which is the divine table set for every person? You see, this question, this very important question, reminds us of our human propensity to hoard resources and to maintain power. And it continually places before us the ongoing work of bringing good news to whoever is experiencing Han today. And if the world really is slowly, incrementally growing better and better and better, then that Han just keeps existing and we keep knocking down every barrier until every person truly belongs. That's how the gospel is supposed to work its magic in this world. A final thought. In Minjung theology, Jesus isn't an outside actor, right? Somehow spiritually saving sinners from far, far away if they believe just the right thing. Instead, in Minjung theology, Jesus is a participant. That is to say, Jesus enters into the stories of those who are oppressed. I think we can see a clear example of this point in Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats. Remember that, Matthew chapter 25? In the parable, Jesus explains, the king will say to those that is right, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's really the list of everything we see in Luke chapter four about the gospel that Jesus came to work in this world. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or you thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you as stranger and welcome you? Or when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it, you did it to me. I think that's so important. You did it unto me. 
Then he will say to those that is left, you are accursed, depart from me. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they asked, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. According to Jesus, he is not observing our lives from a far off place up there in heaven, hoping we recite the sinner's prayer enough times so that God can love us. Rather, according to this parable, Jesus is mysteriously present here and now, in, in the lives of those who are poor and captive and blind and oppressed. It's as though Jesus is, that he actually is, that the divine is indivisibly one with those who are hungry, with those who are thirsty, with those who are lonely, naked, sick, and imprisoned. That is the Christ in this world. Here's a practical example of this point. James Cone, the great black liberation theologian, wrote a book titled The Cross and the Lynching Tree. In his book, he makes the point that Jesus, like many black men and women, was hung on a tree. For many white Christians, it's believed that Jesus was punished by God on our behalf. Now think about that for a moment. For many white Christians, it's believed that Jesus was punished by God on our behalf. But if you're a black man or a black woman who experienced the atrocities of lynching 100, 200 years ago, a gospel, a white gospel was not good news. It was not good news. It was horrible news. It was horrible news that white people used in God's name to support lynching and to continue oppressing people of color. Do you see how that, how that happens? This is the same old pattern that Minjung theology warns us against. And so James Cone explains, much like the sheep and goats parable in Matthew 25, that Jesus who was lynched, Jesus who was lynched was not being punished by God because that would be really bad news if you were a person being lynched in this world. Rather, Cohn makes the point that God in Christ hangs in solidarity with every crucified person. That's meeting the Han of his day. And more so, Jesus' resurrection offers hope for those who are killed by those in power, declaring it is possible for life to burst forth from death. In the midst of all hopelessness, do not lose hope hope. And suddenly the gospel is no longer a weapon used by quote unquote saved people to harm those who are different. For instead, the gospel is now intentionally wielded to free the oppressed people of today, whoever they are. And this is the work that we're invited into. Pearl Church, my sincere hope is that the truths of Minjung theology may help to shape our life in this world. Rather than focusing all our attention on the problem of sin, Minjung theology invites us to attend to the Han, the bitterness of souls all around us. And rather than looking back at people who God saved in the past, Minjung theology invites us into God's salvation today. There are people today who are socially or religiously estranged, who are told they cannot belong as they are who need to hear the divine words, the favor of God is upon you. And rather than Jesus being some kind of actor from afar, Minjung theology invites us to appreciate Jesus' participation in the stories of the other. 
in the houseless person, in the woman at the church who cannot speak because she is a woman, or in the queer life who can't belong because that person is queer. The minjung is for these people, especially these people. It must be sung and declared and proclaimed from the mountaintops by all of those who feel as if they already belong, for it is the next person's turn to be included. May it be so and let us pray. God, help us to participate in the reign of Jesus' loving life. In this time, in this world, until every person knows your extravagant love. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you.